Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsmen find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. On today's podcast, I chat with Captain Johnny Monero of Blackwater Revival Guide Service in Georgetown, South Carolina. We talk all about summertime fishing in the Carolinas and what conservation means to us here in the Carolinas. Hope you all enjoy. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. On August 12th, Eastern Current and Soundside Outfitters in Swansboro, North Carolina will be hosting the first annual fly-only Redfish Rodeo. You'll be able to fish anywhere in North Carolina, and the award ceremony will be held at the Soundside Outfitters Fly Shop that evening. You'll have to be present at the after party to win. All proceeds will be donated to a coastal nonprofit. We have tons of great prizes that... I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium-light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. Johnny, what's going on, man? Stoked to have you on another podcast uh, to chat about your fishery, my fishery, uh, the Carolinas, and this terrible weather we've been having. Yeah, thanks for having me on a on a nice, beautiful, rainy day. Yeah, you're always a you're always an easy date, man. You're fun to chat with, and yeah, and, I'm an uh, easy date. You're cheap. <laughs> you're cheap. Makes it, cheap. makes things fun, but um, but Us yeah, man. South Carolina boys, you know, North Carolina guys are high pollute. Yeah, you know, South Carolina boys, kind of yeah. like a trailer park around here, you know. We like our our popped polo collars and our bright colors up here. For oh, sure. I know, Patagucci and all that. You know, <laughs> I don't know, man. Charleston <laughs> might give us a run for our money. I don't know. Oh, Charleston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So you're you're right in the middle. You're in redneck country where you are. I'm in redneck country. Hell yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> if you haven't heard Johnny before, we he's been on the podcast before. We've talked about his fishing. We've do, we've done some fishing together, put some videos on YouTube. Um, but excited to kind of chat. We we kind of got to know each other this past winter. Everything we've talked about and done has been kind of winter based. And I feel like the cool thing about me and Johnny kind of discussing our fishing on a podcast is so similar and so uh different in so many ways we've got you know similar fisheries but still very different and and the way we fish is similar some of the ways we fish is different ways that we fish are different is different i don't know i don't know how to say it correctly but yeah yeah. but uh but yeah so so always kind of cool to compare and contrast and i feel like we learn a lot from each other as well as are able to kind of give a good broad view of 
fishing the Carolinas, if you will. So let's let's start. Give people just a quick kind of update. You don't have to go into the full story because we've we've done it before. I don't want to waste Johnny's time, and we'll get right into the meat of it. But let let's kind of hear a little bit of your backstory, your guiding story, your fishing story, if you will. So, uh, Captain Johnny Benero, Blackwater Revival Guide Service. Um, we live on the Black River in Georgetown, South Carolina. Um, so, basically, my fishery is in my front yard. Um, but I've been guiding. Uh, I'm not a 100% full-time guy, but I, I guide like a heavy part-time. Um, the Georgetown fisheries, I've been doing it for about two years now. I've uh, been you know, on the water my entire life and had my captain's license for 10 years and finally was got an opportunity to put it to work a couple of years back, but to basically specialize in fly and light tackle fishing. Um, I'm a pretty avid fly tire. Um, I just like to learn how the fish react underwater and their cycles. And I don't really discriminate on what I'm fishing for. I love bass ponds and I love I love tarpon. I love it all. Um, like to get offshore, you know, all that good stuff. So, but Man, that's I think, just a little run over. Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, I, I love that. You know, I think it's important to stay plugged into to all of it, even as you even make maybe fishing your profession, but going to fishing bass ponds and getting back to the roots of it, and and that's still right. like you can learn from every I say this so much on the podcast but you can learn from every little type of fishing that you do every different technique every different style there's something to learn it just opens up these new chambers in your head you're like oh my gosh I could do this yeah. here I could do this there this technique would work here so it's definitely and a, there's no excuse, there's no excuse that you know oh man I haven't been red fishing in a long time man you throw your redfish up at a largemouth bass he's gonna eat it they're gonna exact they're gonna act the exact same way For sure. you know it's uh it's, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between it all, you know, and you got, you got to be a broad, a widespread angler to, to be successful on the Eastern seaboard, especially in the Southeast. It's just a lot of variables. We have way more variables than a lot of other people have in this country. So for sure. Um, it's good to be well-rounded. Absolutely. Uh, when you Bay is, a, is definitely where, where like just that whole river system, not just when Bay, but that whole you know, Northern South Carolina is such a legendary area to fish with so much uh, incredible, you know, year round fishery, migratory fish that come throughout the different parts of the year. Uh, Mm -hmm. and and just a cool place to be able to, to fish. What do you feel like are some of the, the struggles that you face weather wise and seasonally down there, especially I'm kind of getting into trying to segue clean and cleanly into like us talking about our weather patterns we've had this year. But what, so, what are some of the, the your fallbacks or your methods of kind of fishing around maybe tough weather? So I feel like, you know, we're, we're second day of summer right now, but, you know, your, your early spring um, is definitely a tough time of year. Like lots of wind, lots of variable weather, water's just temperature one day and back down 10 degrees the next. So, um, you know, the spring, early spring's probably the toughest where I hit the most roadblocks myself, um, fishing in this area. Um, just because sometimes it's not accessible. Like we can't, we can't run these big bays and little boats if, uh, you know, if it's blowing 30 out of the Southeast, but, um, there's, you know, the early part of spring, I'm focusing more, I'm, I'm still kind of in winter mode. Um, chasing some schooling fish this year was kind of a struggle because, you know, we never had the, the big cold, we had like one big cold snap. So, 
the fish never really piled up like they should. So there's a lot of scattered fish. So basically doing the low tide thing, um, when I'm fly, fly fishing and, and just, uh, trying to pick out stragglers. Um, you know, it's tough. You usually get an eat when there's not as much bait in the water, uh, early part of the year and the water's still in the, in the fifties and, and, and low sixties. Um, then transition back down into like the late April, May, when I, I think that's maybe one of the best times if you're a redfish angler, um, and trout angler. I mean, we get happy fish, the bait's starting to show up, the, the fish are getting active, water temperatures getting above 65. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm basically just, I'm doing the same thing. We still have clearer water in, uh, in the end of April, it starts to get that cloudiness that, that uh, phytoplankton starts showing back up like mid, mid May. But usually, you know, you get back in the creeks and find some good structure. There's usually fish around and trout fishing is excellent too. I mean, I love to that first snap of warm weather when we're first light uh, speckled trout fishing with top waters. So, I mean, I'd trade out, I mean, speckled trout on top is probably one of the most exciting things there is. And I really have been, up until now, really targeting them like first light fishing, uh, gurglers and, and spooks for, for, um, for trout. And, you know, you usually get a decent fish if you're covering water. I'm not sitting on a rip or anything like that. I'm just covering grass lines on a falling tide, even, even sometimes a rise. Yeah. Um, and, and fishing, I mean, I'm throwing top, I threw top waters with a client last Saturday until almost 1230 in the, afternoon oh yeah when that it's water just, temps down you can get away with it or or just overcast oh, yeah. you get that light light uh yeah. cloud cover and if you're fishing if you're fishing uh depending on the water clarity too if you're fishing like uh like a, a cut that like an oystery gradual bank that you know has a pretty good amount of current you fish a light color gurgler maybe not make it make a ton of commotion but keep it on the top of the water column it seems like there's good reaction to those too um even when yeah. the sun's high here, you know, it's just, uh, it's not as much sight fishing, but, you know, sight fishing gets hard when that water starts clouding up. You start running fish over that you never see. For sure. So you gotta, you gotta broaden your horizons and, uh, the fish in the creeks are still there. It's just, you gotta be real cognizant of, of what's going on. And <laughs> there's no secret. There's more pressure in the Carolinas than there ever has been. So these fish are starting to, are starting to get smart. I mean, we probably got some of the smartest fish on the East coast, you know, between Wilmington, Georgetown, Charleston. I mean, there's some smart fish and you know, the real estate of the real estate of marsh in Georgetown looks big, but it's really not huge until you start getting south. So, you know, these fish got pressure. So you just got to broaden your horizon and try different things. Definitely. I think, I feel like one of the reasons we struggle is because, Sight fishing overall is growing. Not that we struggle to catch fish, but the reason North Carolina no. is tough is because, you know, as, as sight fishing overall grows, whether with a spinning rod or a fly rod, you know, you get down in Florida, you've got a lot of opportunity. You've got bonefish, you've mm-hmm. got snook, you've got uh, redfish, you've got tarpon. Uh, and you've got and, a lot of untouched coast down there. You've a lot of untouched water. And, and you know, you get to South Florida, they got they got endless, you know, endless estuaries For like sure. we we're, we're limited and we just we have a big population of people and like you said more people are doing it and you, uh, the fish aren't dumb they're just starting to get a little bit smarter right um but that's that's part of the game that's that's 
that's the times we're in. You just gotta, we gotta hope we're getting better as they get better. (laughs) Exactly. We have to think, you have to think a little bit more outside the back. Sometimes hitting them in the nose doesn't work anymore. You know, like for sure. Yeah. And um, just the people that want to sight fish up here in the Carolinas, I mean, they're going to target redfish because that's the one opportunity. Like you get down South and, and, and the lower in lower Florida, Southern Florida, you know, you might have a guy that really wants to go look for permit when it's nice. You might have a guy that really wants to go tarpon fish or bone fish when it's nice. So it kind of spreads the pressure out a little bit more. Yeah. They have plenty of pressure. Don't get me wrong, but you know, everything's on the redfish here for the most part. Oh yeah. That's like, that's bar none are number one inshore game fish bar none. I mean, there's, there's guys who redfish and trout fish, but there's very few guys in South Carolina that just trout fish and not redfish. Right. And I know a lot of guys up in the Harker's area that were like hard, diehard trout guys didn't care, didn't care about a redfish. Um, down here doesn't really go that way. Um, so, you know, the redfish just get a lot of heat, but Definitely. that's, that's, that's part of the game. You know, we just got to live with it and, and learn and try new things and broaden our horizons. For sure, for sure. Man, one thing I want to go back, you were talking about, you know, your morning topwater fishing. I feel like this time of year and through the summer, it's just such a great way as a guide, but also just as an angler that's out fishing, you know, as a hobby or passion. It's a great way to generate a few extra bites. Like even if you're planning on sight fishing, get up early, get up there before the tide's right for your sight fishing, before the sun's up and go throw a topwater flood, catch a few trout and redfish. And, and really, like we were talking about, you can throw it throughout the day. It's like this percentage meter on a topwater plug is how I think about it. Like I weigh my, what's the light doing? Is it about to storm? Is it overcast or fish high in the water column? And I kind of find that percentage. And if I can keep it around like, you know, I feel like 60 to 70% of the fish that it's going to come over are going to eat it, then I'll keep throwing it. If it drops to that like 30, 40%, maybe I'll throw yeah. something else, but it can still be productive. Um, and then you'll have those days where your mind's blown and you'll catch a big trout or redfish on a topwater, like in the middle of the day when it's sunny and calm and it, it happens. And a lot of, and a lot of times it happens when the guy in the front doesn't expect it's going to happen. That's the truth. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, the topwater fishing is just honestly in my, in my me- mental game that it's a, it's a confidence thing. It's, it's definitely a good way to break the ice in the morning. And, you know, a lot of times when you're thrown for trout, you get a redfish that bats it out of the water, too. Right. Um, my my number one suggestion for everyone that I tell who's running a gurgler on top of the water or a spook, if you get blown up and you get missed, you know, don't don't stop that. Fit, don't stop that bait. Because a lot of times, especially if it's a redfish, they can't even see what they're freaking eating. You know, the way their mouth, they're coming out of the water, their eyes don't see well down like they they miss it a lot of times more than they eat it the first time and you just gotta keep keep in your mind keep that bait moving um the redfish like that in in my area like the bait moving uh trout like to eat on the on the paws a lot of times um but i think that's like the number one thing but it's super it's a super confidence booster and it's not super techy it's it's a lot of fun you don't have to there's not it's not super tense on the boat like when you're you got one fish laid against an oyster bank with its nose in the oysters and you're trying to position the boat and make a good cast. Like this is just like covering water, throw it in the grass, you get it hung in the grass, whatever, pull it out. It doesn't have any crap on it. Keep, keep fishing it. Like it's just a fun way to fish. I mean, I don't personally, it's my favorite way to fish. I'd rather fish top water than, than anything. Usually from a guide standpoint, the people on the front are way more excited when that fish 
bats one at off the top and you're like, it blows up and it's just a cool, it's very visual and, and, uh, aggressive fight more than more times than not. Oh, hundred percent. So take me through your top water choices, both on spin rod and on fly rod color and everything. So spin, I throw, um, I usually, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I like fish. All my spin rods are seven, six or longer. I just like a longer rod. Um, but I, I like a, uh, I, I like that. Um, I like a regular old Zara spook. Um, the, the mirror lure one, what's that? The top dog. Yep. Is that the top dog? Yep. yep There's the like top, top dog, dog and, and she dog and yeah. And I like, junior. um, the red and, uh, the red and white. So he's been a good color. So I mean, kind of a classic, good classic color. Um, on a really, maybe if the water's pretty clear, I'll throw clear. Um, just, because the profiles, they, you don't really see the profile, I just see the commotion. But maybe if there's, you know, they're being a little picky, I'll throw clear. Um, chartreuse spooks, um, you know, and if we're trout fishing, I'll tell them to pause it for a second. If we're red fishing, just keep that bait moving. Nice, steady, slow retrieve. And once I pull it about 10 to 15 feet, 20 feet off the bank, you know, we fire it right back in there about three, four feet from where we cast it before and do the same thing. And, you know, with the flies, uh, I like a classic gurgler. Uh, I tie them pretty simple, just like craft for a tail, a little S in the body and you fold it over foam. Sometimes I'll do one piece of foam. Sometimes I'll do two, just a matter of how much commotion I want it to make. If I want a little more subtle approach, uh, just that one piece of foam. It'll make still a little, a little, a little loop, if you will, but it's not as heavy as when you get a heavy foam, uh, two pieces of foam on there. But sure. same thing, six inch strips. I usually tell my people to manipulate the rod tip a little bit more. Um, I don't think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people uh, tend to use the rod to make a bait work in a, in a fly situation. But I think sometimes when you're top water fishing tapping that rod um as you would a spook sometimes gives it a, a little bit extra a little bit extra a little bit extra that you need and um you know and basically the same thing when they eat when they eat on a fly just honestly i don't even tell people to set the hook I mean, usually they just keep tighten up and they, they hook themselves right um but um but that's kind of what i what I tend to fall towards. I throw some poppers, but, uh, with the poppers, they're a little bit harder to cast. Um, and I always fish a shorter leader with the fly. Usually, uh, I cut all my loops off of all my fly lines and I'll fish a, uh, when I'm fishing gurglers, I'll usually just throw like a four or five foot leader, you know, like 40 pound, butt. if I'm fishing on a nine, we have a 40 pound, butt step it down to a 20 pound of blood knot and just cause it's easier to get the, the fly to where it needs to go. And they're not as concerned about leader fly line leader formula. Um, but I do have a good leader formula. I want to mention here. When yeah, we get down for sure. to it. Well, yeah, go ahead and jump into that. I think that's something that people can geek out about a little bit. And some people don't realize how helpful it can be to really pay attention to what you're doing leader wise. Yeah. So on the, Obviously, I'll start with spin. Like spin, I think everyone's kind of doing the same thing. I just do like you know improved all braid, uh, braid to fluorocarbon, always fluoro, um, depending on what it is. 
12 or 20. I usually fish 20. You know, it doesn't hurt anything. Yeah, I feel like especially um, as the water dirties up for you and me and the yeah, summer, you can get away with 20 everywhere. It doesn't, re- it doesn't really matter. In the wintertime, we'll, we'll step down to 12 and 10. But, uh, you know, I usually fish. It doesn't hurt to fish a little bit longer leader. It's not going to really affect anything. So I'll usually fish like uh, I'll fish probably like a two-and-a-half-foot leader, usually maybe a little bit longer sometimes depending on if the water super clear. But in the summertime, like two-and-a-half-foot just because I don't want to be cutting the leaders off the – off the um, braid and retying them, you know, every, every time I change a bait. So that's usually what I do about two and a half foot, good, good all bright and cinch down, make sure it's good before you start fishing it. And then in the fly thing, this was a flip pallet video that I saw and it's actually worked super well for me is uh, snipping the, the loops off your fly line. Um, I know it's kind of like, hurts your heart when you do that to a hundred dollar fly line, but hear me out. Um, find you a, a good, like medium stiff fluorocarbon for a butt. Yeah. And you want to, you want to match the butt of the fly or the, the forward taper of the, or the forward section of the fly line to the, um, butt section of your leader, like diameter wise. Uh-huh. So I believe I use like 0. 0.40 on a nine weight line. Um, and I tie, you could tie a nail knot. There's like a, a knot that's more like a snell that you could tie, but a nail knot works just okay. Um, I'll put six foot or seven foot of that 40 foot or that butt section in there, step it down to 30 with a blood knot and then step it down to my tippet material, whether it be 20 or 12. Um, the idea of that is if you have a butt section of leader that is the same diameter as your forward taper of your fly line, it'll help carry the leader, the energy through the leader because most leaders are mono or most fly lines are like mono core or something of that nature. But right. if you have a, a, a butt section that is longer that is the same diameter as the fly line. It seems to hold the energy through the, through the leader a little bit better. And you could actually, if you need to fish a 10, 15 foot leader, you can, because you're not losing the energy through that, through that taper, that leader. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. And when you cut the uh, loop off and tie direct, you don't have that little hitch point in the fly line. And it's, it's very true. And I've, I've been doing that now for about a half a year and uh, it's, it's proven, it's proven to help a, a good amount, especially delivering, delivering flies. And a lot of times we get people who are a little bit, have a little bit of a challenge on the bow. Um, so anything that could help, but that's what I've been doing for my leaders. And you can make a butt section last you heck uh, four months, you right, know, as right. long as it's not getting raked through the oysters and whatever it's, you just changing your uh, your tippets, get good at time blood knots, and and then obviously fly connection is always a loop. Your choice of loop knot. I always go non slip mono because I can't. Everything else confuses me. So I <laughs> <laughs> just stick what I know. I, I know. If um, I try to learn new knots, I can. I start doing the steps mixed with the other ones. I, I just have to kind of stick with what I know. Yeah, that's. I watch videos like, oh, tie Duncan loop. Oh, this thing looks cool, and then it just falls apart every time I tie it. So I just with my non-slip mono works well <laughs> i never had it i've never had it fail at the knot i've had it fail other ways but you know most of the time when you're paying attention and tie it right it's, it's good to go 
but the blood knot's crucial. You got to tie blood knots. Um, got to tie blood knots for um, tippet or different diameters, especially when you're stepping a big diameter of, of leader material down from another. You have to tie blood knot. A, a, a surgeon's knot, double surgeons won't. It will. It could work, but it's uh, it, you're gambling. I mean, and then obviously when you get in the bigger, in the bigger, heavier flies, if you're throwing stuff in the 11 to 12 weight game, you know, you might want to look into uh, some other connections. But uh, but yeah, that's kind of my leader my leader makeup on the fly thing, and it's 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 done pretty well. I, I mean, the, the loop doesn't really benefit you in any way other than. You spending twenty four dollars on a tapered fluorocarbon leader from uh, from one of the big brands and uh, and just easy to change out. You know, tie your own leaders. I'm telling you, it'll it'll uh, save you time. It'll save you some money, and I I bet you it'll it'll uh, help you on the water as well. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that one hundred percent. So, if I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an I Strike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com, and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Going from this into your fishery down there, and we can kind of compare and contrast a little bit as we as we wrap this up. Not wrap it up right this second, but as we kind of transition to the last little talking point of this podcast. Um, let's talk about seasonally what you're getting into this time of year. As, as things change, as, as fish show up, as fish leave, what does your kind of now through the rest of your summer look like as far as your, your, uh, your fishing? So as it gets like real hot, I'll, I'll tend to start moving my focus out of these, um, out of these back creeks that are, you know, low flow, low oxygen levels. It's, you know, you can be successful in there, but the fish are so stressed out through the water temps. We see 90, we see 88, 90 degrees midsummer. So I usually start working my way into a little bit deeper water. Like I said, I'm top water fishing as much as I can, um, low tide fishing, cruising fish, maybe on, uh, larger, larger channels on edges. There's plenty of fish. You just got to look for them. Stuff you're driving past every day. There's fish there. Um, so I'll kind of jump into that kind of stuff, but I, um, I hit bigger water in the summertime. I I just like, uh, I think more oxygen flow, more, uh, the fish are moving more. They're a little less stressed out. Uh, you, you know, low tide, Slack low tide way back in these creeks. It's not good for the fish to be exerting any energy that they don't really need to. It's 
it's really, you know, it's hard to revive them sometimes. Um, you know, a pup's not, in, you know, you catch 25 and 26 inch fish and you put heat on them for five minutes. It's sometimes hard to, uh, hard to get them to kick. For sure. Um, but that's kind of what I do. I'm starting to move towards bigger water. Um, I've got other, other species that I'm, I'm kind of targeting this time of year too. Uh, there's some triple tail around, uh, that I, um, trying to wet my feet in, um, a little bit more and there's good resources to figure out where they are. I'll let y'all figure that out. But, um, um, and then, you know, we obviously get some, some other migratory fish that we, uh, we target here and, uh, but man, most of the, most of it's still, it's still the redfish and, and the trout. It's just, I'm moving myself. I'm moving my, my focus is out of, out of the, uh, the small water and moving a little bit bigger, bigger water. And, and, uh, some of the, you know, it, it, we start getting a little bit of a drought. You can move up into the, up into the rivers a little bit more when the salinity climbs. Um, and I mean, there's tons of, there's tons of life up the rivers too. Yeah, for sure. Now, I, I think one of the things that you and I both see quite a bit of, like in the wintertime, a lot of these, the redfish, as well as all the bait resources, move into these deeper creeks, into these small, tight creeks. But then in the, as yep. the summer, as it warms up, and more bait migrates in, because it's not only the fish that we're targeting that are migrating, a lot of the bait is migratory, like our redfish and our menhaden. Um, and, yep. and you start just seeing bait on random long shorelines where they could have been completely barren during the winter months, but during the summer you could have a school of 500 redfish on a you know on a stretch of, of open bank up here in North Carolina. And I'm sure it's the same. Yeah, and I South feel like Carolina. and I feel like using the wind to your advantage too in that scenario. Like when you've got um, when you've got wind pushing against the bank, and you've got those quarter you know those dimes that are. Uh, half dollar size menhaden um heavy in an area sometimes that wind influences them to move towards the bank a little bit you know using the wind and the tide at your uh your disposal and just trying to figure that out too um because there is some influence with that i believe oh for sure uh, for sure you know you, and our water's a little bit bigger like our bigger bays are a little bit bigger than what you have up there 100%. but like it's um you know, you just gotta, you just gotta look at all the elements and not really discount anything. You know, there's some really good places that people just roll past every day. Yeah. That, you know, they're just, they're just not pretty. They're not, they're right. not magical looking, right. right? you know, like, but they're there. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, the magic is a lot of times if the fish is there or not. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, yeah, for real. Like it's cool to see the visual, but sometimes when you are growing a, throwing a top water up against a sunken sailboat in an industrial area, you know, sometimes they're there. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You know, you know what I mean? So. No, that's, that's very true. Um, and it, on the opposite side of like using the weather in your advantage, like a lot of times I'll complain if there's wind, but I found a lot of new spots because of a certain wind direction and I'm having to bounce around and fish leeward stuff because you know and it might be something that i never thought about for i'm just going to go pull this bank because if there's a fish there we might be able to see them everything else is going to be blown out and then all of a sudden yeah. I'm like holy crap can, this bank's really control, good <laughs> and right. you can control the boat exactly. you know like it's it, it's sometimes even in those tight creeks if you get a wind coming across you on the turn man you know how it is don't you uh, hate yeah. when you get when you get pushed into a bank and you can't you try like three times to get off of it and it's just like jesus like Right. It's I'm so sorry. Hard. I can't. Hold on. Give me a second. I'm gonna try to lose this boat. But right. you know, sometimes it's um, 
but you know, like this time of year, obviously everyone's targeting these, uh, uh, you know, channel bass or the bull redfish, if you, if you will. Um, it's cool to, you know, take pictures of them, but I think it's really bugging me lately is the ones that have like three or four of them on a boat and they're all taking pictures of them. Uh, trust me, I take pictures of fish, but like those channel bass, I just urge everyone to kind of get those things back in the water as soon as they can. They're, they're hard to revive as it is. Um, you know, and they're, they're the, they're the staple resource for the breeding of our fisheries. Oh, for sure. So, and I, you know, I so, think what a good thing for people to think about is like to take a fish out of the water and take a picture. Great. That's a great thing. But think about how you're doing it. It doesn't necessarily need to be right when you get it to the boat, you pull it in, flip it on the deck, get everybody ready, get your picture. I mean, essentially that fish is, it's like if you ran a marathon and then someone shoved your head into the water as soon as you were done. You know, so mm-hmm. they're fighting for their life. They finally don't have enough energy anymore. They're beside the boat. Then you immediately pull them up and hold them out of the water for a little while. Not saying you yeah. shouldn't get your picture. Get your picture, but revive him beside the boat in the net first. Give him a minute yeah. or two or three minutes. Get the, minutes. Get, the ca- get the camera ready outside the water. Obviously, outside the water. Leave the fish in the water, you know. keep your, Maybe put your hand in his mouth or in his tail and just let him, let him breathe. Let him catch his breath. Get everyone positioned for the picture. Pick the fish out of the water. Quick picture back in the water. Revive them proper way and let them let them go. I mean, I don't truly think that you save every fish that you release. No matter what you do, sometimes it just doesn't work. Like we try the best we can, but sometimes it just doesn't it doesn't work. Like sometimes these fish get spent. And fishing the right tackle is a big a big. Uh, a big thing too, when you're, when you're targeting fish like that, like it's not really, I'll use the same fish for uh, same rods for tarpon as I use for bull red, just so I can get them to the boat quicker and fish, a, you know, not fishing real long leaders. So the fish doesn't swallow the hook into their belly, yeah. you know, fish that flat weight, six inches above a circle hook. Those fish don't care. They're catfish. They're basically catfish of the bay. Right. They'll eat. If the bait's right, they're going to eat it. Just make it make when they do eat it, just don't let them, you know, try to, try to tie your rigs properly. So you're not gut hooking these fish. Um, you've got to hook them with a circle hook, even though people think you circle hooks hook them every, perfect every time. I've gut hooked many fish with, circle with a circle hook before. For sure. So no, that just, that was my little, my little, my little. No, I, box I agree. Second. I agree, man. I, there's a rig. I think it's called the Owen Lupton rig. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's the name that you have to use when targeting the bull redfish up here in North Carolina inshore. They don't, yeah. they're not making you do it, but there's like, there's areas where guys are, you know, obviously specifically targeting the bull reds and it's a, it's yep. a, it's a, the hook is like right on the weight essentially. The weight. So they're yeah, actually, actually where I learned to tie that rig, it's just like five O or five O Daiichi circle hook. Uh, I use 80 pounds. I'll use like an 80 pound fluorocarbon. I'll tie an overhand knot in it six inches above the hook or four inches above the hook, drop a bead and a flat weight and a tie a perfection loop and snap swivels on my rod. So when you take it off easily and not beating your rods up on the boat. Right. And then, and then when you got to change rigs, you have five or six of them tied. For sure. You get spent by a shark, you're good to go, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it, that is a, I would say the safest way I've seen bull redfish hook. Because you, exactly. I mean, you, yeah. you, you want to hook that fish a lot of times, so you're giving them that time to eat it on a, on a Carolina rig, but then there's too much leader, and they've those big fish can even suck down a whole six inch pogey in one go if they want to. So, oh uh, yeah, they're 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 they're, they're, they're those fish are built to eat, you know, for sure. And I really don't so. think that rig 
hurts you in any way as far as hookup ratio goes? No, I think it's, I think the only thing it does is when they do get that bait into their mouth and they're, it's deep enough to beep, you know, in, in the hookup area, they hit that flat weight and they don't, the, the, the idea is that they don't go further than that, that flat weight, um, is what I, what I think the idea of that is. It's just, you know, there's plenty of, there's plenty of leader there to hook the fish. It's just, uh, you know, you don't give them the time to get it to their belly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's uh, it, it's a definitely a good rig for for that scenario, one hundred percent. Absolutely. I think you could even apply a shorter leader to even your smaller drum if you're bait fishing. Uh, that that could be. Yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, they're not they're not the most overly picky fish, especially when they're you're fishing for them in channels and stuff like that, or right. in deeper creeks. They're not as they're not as picky. They're they're they're, they're an oppor- They're a very opportunist fish. You know, they're they're not. They're not a permit. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know? exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. but yeah, but that's, uh, that's kind of what I've been, what I've been up to. And like, uh, you know, I'm stoked on, uh, the midsummer thing, you know, we get those, the silverfish here and I get stoked on them. Um, and that's starting to hopefully happen soon. And, and, uh, should be good through the, you know, it's tough here. I think you guys have a little bit better fishing through the heat of the summer than we do. Um, but I'm stoked on the, uh, the rest of the summer into the, into the fall, you know, I mean, it's really kind of good here all year. You know what I mean? We don't really, we don't get it like the Northeast guys. Right. We, we're, we're super, we're super fortunate to have what we have. Kind of right in the middle, yeah. we get we get the seasons, but we have fishing throughout the whole year, which is so nice. You might have to change gears, fish a little differently, but you've got opportunity. Yeah, and just be like boat safety, like you know. And obviously, this is this is well known, but just there's a lot of people running around these these creeks now. You know, be cognizant of where you're at and how you're making turns on these blind turns. It's just a, there's a lot of pleasure boaters out there. There's a lot of guys doing what you're doing. So, you know, make sure you're uh, keeping your wits about you on the water. And uh, if you're not familiar with an area, don't do not do 30 knots to the creeks. Like, that's right. Not good. No, that's no good. I think so. before we wrap up, one thing, I'll give you a soapbox for a second that I've started to do. And I, I know you did, at least when I was down there. Maybe you're, maybe you're not anymore, so hopefully I'm not outing you. But you're a big advocate of wearing your kill switch. And I feel like that's such an important oh, thing that gosh. so few people do, especially if you're running big water or running by yourself, but really in any reason. And you were running with a wrist strap kill switch, which I want to get because it just makes it so easy. But but yep. what's why do you think it's so important? I mean, everyone knows. It's like we don't need to tell anybody, but we do need to tell everybody. You know? I think I don't I don't really even think that just because we're on small skiffs and in shallow water, like I don't I think it's important to wear it whenever. Like one most important thing is we all want to we want to load that boat back on the trailer at the end of the day. Right. Like we all want to do that. Like that's, you know, the goal is to catch fish, but the ultimate goal is to get the boat back on the trailer, you know, and then go on with your life. Like if you're, if you're not wearing, wearing a kill switch, like I, like I got that nice wrist strap. I've had it for years. I put a, I put my whistle on a, on a, on a split ring or a key ring right below my wrist strap. Um, you know, yes, I have reached back into the build before and pulled the kill switch out. It, it happens, but I'd rather that happen than be running with my family or with clients or by myself and 
run aground and get thrown from the boat and the boat keeps going, you know, you gotta, your, your life's important, but you know, the other lives on the boat are important. That, that kill switch is, that kill switch is, uh, is key. I mean, I don't, I think it's kind of foolish when I see guys not wearing them. Um, they're not inconvenient uh, at all, you know, but unhook it from your, your, uh, unhook it from your boat key, buy a float for your boat key and use that thing. Like I'm huge advocate for it. It should be, it should be the law, I believe. Um, you know, it just, nothing can ever happen to you. God forbid anything ever happens to you, but when it does, or if it does, that's just one more thing to keep you alive. Right. And the people on the boat, like, you have to run a 30 knots to the creek and you get thrown off the boat, your boat keeps going, you throw the boat up in the marsh and hurt everybody on the boat, you don't want that. Right. Or where you the, send an the empty thing? boat sailing across the bay and it smashes into somebody's property or somebody's boat or other people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so. your boat's not going to get freaking destroyed right? either. So, like, I'm a huge advocate for it. Like, just buy, you can order a really nice one online or for probably still 15 bucks, like, at the right. most. And um, I don't even realize I'm wearing it half the time, but it's, it's habit. When that key turns on the boat and I sit behind the helm, it goes on my right wrist yeah. every single time. So I uh, definitely get in the habit of that. It's, yeah, I think that's huge. It, and, and nobody it's, wears it's good them. Practice. So it is, it no, is definitely it's, it's good, good practice. For sure. It's very good practice. I mean, and it's not, it's like the motorcycle thing. Like you see those stickers in the back of the cars, like, you know, look twice. You know, there's a motorcycle there. Like same thing, like look twice. Like, you know, there's other people in the water that could get you into a hairy situation. And if you get hit, or whatever, you know, that, that kill switch, that kill switch could save your life in many different ways. So like, just wear it, like have the right life jackets on the boat. Like we're required to have offshore life jackets. Make sure you have a life jacket. One, don't get a stupid ticket for not having enough life jackets on the boat and buy good ones. Don't buy the $5 ones from Walmart. Right. It's good to have good stuff. Uh, that stuff you'll won't have to buy, but Never scamp on life saving stuff. <laughs> yeah, have make sure you're make sure you got extra batteries on your boat. If you got a V eight, you should have a little handheld VHF on the boat. Um, make sure you have extra stuff, a, a little tool. I always people who don't carry toolkits, unbelievable, but get a little toolkit together, a ten mil socket, couple sockets, couple wrenches, couple screwdrivers. Because stuff happens, you know, and it's really it's a real bummer when all you need was a Phillips head screwdriver and you don't have one. Right. So we got to travel light on skiffs, but use your real estate on the skiff wisely and uh, definitely have some tools and some, some extra safety gear. Uh, it's just, it might never get used, but when you have it and it's in, in place, it could be huge. And a little little point to the tool set thing. If you have two boats, have two tool sets because if you only have one tool yeah. set, I promise you, like myself, it's going to be on the boat you don't need it on. So you should have That's those right. on each boat. <laughs> and in the in your first aid kit, they make the first aid kits with a little watertight gasket. Yep. You know, like make sure your first aid kits kind of up to date. You know, your band aids. Throw are your tools soaked, in there. Like, throw your tools in there. First, I mean, a, a good a good watertight Plano box does wonders. Yep. Exactly. So, um, yeah, like just your tackle is important, but also getting home is important. Right. So. Exactly. 
Exactly. But, but if yeah. our wives knew that we had the tool set, we couldn't say we were having boat issues and fish that extra hour on the flood tide in the evening. That's the only problem. Well, don't we, we'll keep that a secret. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I do not lie to my wife about my fishing. So no, I don't. I, I'm sure I just, there's someone out there that does. I don't lie. I just lose track of time. That's me. That's me. <laughs> and that's not a lie. You know, it's not a nine to five. It's definitely not a nine to five gig. It's, uh, it's a uh, it's a five to five gig typically. Five to nine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's five to whenever it stops kind of right. thing sometimes, especially when it's a tough day. Yeah, that's funny, man. I, I'm going to start using that as a saying. It's a, being a fishing guy is not a nine to five. It's a five to nine. <laughs> yeah, it's a five to nine. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, 16, 16-hour days. Right, exactly. Well, man, thank you for hopping on. Before we wrap this up, just get tell everyone again how they can find you, how they can get up with you, and uh, and all that good stuff. Yep, so uh, Captain Johnny Monero, Blackwater Gu- Revival Guide Service, uh, based out of Georgetown. My Google says Myrtle Beach, but that's just for to help me with a little bit of marketing. Um, uh, 803-374-2354 is my phone number. Um, Fish Blackwater is my Instagram. Um, and then Blackwater Revival Guide Service on Facebook. And, uh, you know, just pretty basic and shoot me a text, call me. I'm always good to help out too, even if you're coming to the area and, you know, you might have a question about an area. I'm not going to tell you where the fish are, but I'll, you know, I'm always, I'm always down for helping people, you know, be safe and give a couple pointers. So, yeah, you know, point never, people in the right direction. Yeah. Like I, the last thing I want anyone to do is get hung in a hairy situation. So if you have any questions about this area or, you know, Georgetown's a cool town, just come down here and say it. You know, we, we'd love to have you down here. So, awesome. 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 So yeah, that, that's, that's, that's my little thing. Well, you know? cool. Well, heck yeah. But well, as, as I've said before, we'll, we'll continue to have Johnny on some podcasts, love chatting with him about his uh, fishing just South of us here. And, uh, as always guys, thanks for listening to the Eastern current podcast. If you like it, go give us a review on iTunes, go tell a friend about it. And, uh, we thank y'all so much for your support and we'll see you next week. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.